0: Welcome to the Heartbeat Church podcast. Our vision is for people to live in the image God intended them to be in. For more information, visit heartbeatchurch.org.au. Oh, okay, this will hopefully be the fifth of six. Introductory lecture. They'll all depend on how much I prattle on for today because my plan is to kind of give you all a foundation of revelation. And then hopefully, baby will come. I will be missing for a few weeks and then come back and we'll explore the book a bit deeper. So, so far in Revelation, we have seen John's vision of Jesus. And John tells, or Jesus tells John, I should say, that he is to write a letter to seven churches. And as he writes this letter, he tells about the strengths and weaknesses of each of these churches. And after writing the final letter to the Church of Laodicea, the challenge to Church of Laodicea is that those who conquer, they can sit at the throne of Jesus. And this opens up a doorway into heaven. John goes from earthly realities to heavenly realities. And there he sees God's throne in its glory. And in the midst of this throne with the 24 elders and these creatures that are worshipping day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. John sees a lamb that looks as though it was slain. But really this lamb is the Lion of Judah. And the Lion of Judah is the only one worthy in the cosmos to open the scroll, the revelation, the unveiling of God's judgment, of God's salvation to the world. And as is the case of all ancient documents, it is sealed with seven seals. And as Jesus is the only one that is worthy to open the seven seals, each of the seals brings judgment. In the last few weeks, we've gone through what each of these seals represent. And when the seals are opened progressively and the scroll is unveiled, what we have is the first series of judgments, the seven trumpets. The seven trumpets are there, as you can see, the first trumpet which an angel blows. We see hail mixed with blood and it's thrown down upon the earth and it results in one third of the earth burning up grass, trees, etc. The next trumpet is blown and we see that the sea is transformed into blood. The third trumpet we have rivers become bitter from a star that's known as wormwood. Fourthly the sun the moon and the stars lose their light fifthly that we have this strange image of this demonic locust plague army coming out from the depths of the abyss and there they attack humanity sixthly we have four angels standing at the river of the Euphrates which is a traditional place of Israel's enemies And there, they will wipe out one-third of humanity. And last week, we looked at some quite complicated, which if you don't think Revelation's complicated, even more complicated symbolic literature. After the sixth trumpet is blown, we have a pause in the narrative. Instead of going from the sixth to the seventh trumpet, we have this pause. And during this pause in Revelation chapter 10, John sees this colossal angel, this mighty angel of one foot on the earth and one foot in the sea. And this enormous angel is holding this tiny scroll. And when John eats this scroll, it tastes as sweet as honey, but it leaves this bitter feeling in his stomach. In this sense, John is doing what the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel did, what Isaiah did, what Jeremiah did. They become the word of God. They embody it completely. And then John is called then to prophesize to all nations and kingdoms. And this is where it gets slightly confusing and difficult. John is told to measure out the temple. And just as in the prophet Ezekiel and the prophet Zechariah, this measuring of the temple, I feel, is not actually measuring out the blueprints for a literal temple. It is symbolic. And it seems to symbolise the role of the church. And as we read here in Revelation, let me just find it, here are the two witnesses. There, when John is called to measure out the temple. He said there'll be two witnesses and the witnesses will prophesy for 1,260 days as part of this temple will be handed over to 42 months to the Gentiles. 42 months, 1,260 days or three and a half years are all the same time period. It's a way of symbolically representing a time of tribulation. And so what John does is he presents the church as these two witnesses. And these witnesses, they it, it's quite strange, there's talks about fire coming out of their mouth, having the power like Elijah to call down different judgments on people. Although Christians think these two witnesses are actually physical people, but in looking at this vision, it seems that this measuring of the temple, these two witnesses, Witnesses represent the church. And eventually these two witnesses are killed by this strange beast. This unknown beast from the abyss. And then they're left lying there for three and a half days. And the world celebrates. They don't even bother to bury these two witnesses. One of the most horrific ways that you could treat someone's body in the ancient world was to leave them there unburied. But then after three and a half days, spirit enter back into them, they're resurrected, go into heaven, people are astonished, then there's a giant earthquake. And so after all this quite complicated vision and whatnot and all that, we are given another strange image of a dragon chasing after a woman. I said lots of times in Revelation that its story doesn't track from point A to point B. Chronologically, it's more like this. So we look at a certain event. In this case here, Revelation chapter 11. We're given here a parable of the church to church's role to prophesize to the nations, and they will be hated. And for this period, they will suffer tribulation. In fact, it will seem like the church will be wiped out completely and utterly. But ultimately, the church will be vindicated. So John takes this image here of the church as two witnesses. And there he looks at it from another perspective in Revelation chapter 12. And for the ladies that were there on Friday's Bible study, you could probably teach this now. We went through this in depth, so sorry about that. It's a repeat of Friday. But here we have in Revelation chapter 12, this again, this parable. Between uh, this parable describing the journey of Israel and this seven headed dragon, which we find out represents Satan, and this woman embodies Eve, Joseph, narrative, Jacob, Exodus all of these images of Israel's salvation history are drawn into one, and eventually we are told that the purpose of the dragon chasing after this woman is to kill the son that she is about to give birth to. And when the dragon is not able to do this, when they see here the dragon, we read here in Revelation 12, 13, and when the dragon saw that he'd been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male son. And the woman's given two wings of a great eagle, which is symbolic. She doesn't actually grow wings and fly away. It's showing Yahweh's protection. "'And there she hides away from the serpent. "'And when the serpent cannot, or the dragon cannot kill the woman's son, "'he goes to make war with her offspring, i.e. the church.'" This is what happened here to the church. They will be killed. They will suffer tribulation. It will seem like they're defeated. In the same way, John's picking up this image. This seven-headed, fearsome dragon is chasing after this woman, trying to kill her, trying to kill her son, trying to kill the offspring of her son. It's John's way of showing us that things are going to be horrific. But then we actually see that this is really Behind the scenes. All this stuff happening here is happening in the spiritual world. For then John sees a beast come out of the ocean, out of the sea. And this beast that comes out of the sea, it's this this, this chaotic creature that seems awful and it's got all these mismatched parts of animals in it he looks like a leopard its feet are like a bear's mouth like a lion's mouth and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority and one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound But its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? Now, in this rather strange, symbolic way, what John is trying to say is that this beast that emerges from the ocean, the waters of chaos, the waters of evil, the waters which Yahweh controlled at creation, here emerges this human empire. That's what these beasts from the ocean represent, the Roman Empire. And it looks as though it had been killed which points back to the time when Rome went into civil war, the year of the four emperors, where it seemed like Rome would collapse. Then General Thessabian came in, took control, and Rome grew grew back into power. All these images pointing about Rome, which seems like this wonderful place, this place which controls the world, is in reality is a beast. And it's empowered by Satan Himself, it's a false representation of Jesus, and then not only that, are we introduced to this beast that comes from the sea? We're introduced to this beast that comes out of the earth, and it's very, very interesting the description of this beast. Revelation thirteen eleven. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like A dragon. It's very, very deliberate why it's described looking like a lamb. Because who have we encountered? That is the lamb that was slain. Jesus. So here is this beast that looks like the lamb. What scholars call the Antichrist. Someone that looks like Jesus. But he is false. False. And this second beast performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth. And this is what we have here. We are looking at this whole symbolic two witnesses, the church being crucified, them coming back to life, all of that, now we are seeing Who is the instigator of the church's problems? It's the seven-headed dragon, Satan himself. And Satan empowers the Roman emperor, which is represented in the sea beast. And Satan is empowering the second beast coming from the land, which is the false prophet, the one who looks like the Antichrist. And as part of all this... We are told at the end of Revelation 13 that there is a mark, this strange mark of the beast, 666. Oops, too far. Now, people have gone into no end of discussion to discover what is the meaning of 666 put it simply? 666, six, six, it's the number of man. 7 equals perfection. 6 is one less. And it doesn't matter how many times you add 6, 666, six, six, 6 to infinity. It's never going to be 7. And so people say that this might be what's called a grammata, a literary way of just putting numbers to represent a name. And some people think it spells out to be Nero Caesar, the great Caesar. That revelation draws a lot of imagery from the great persecutor of the church, the one who killed the apostles Paul and Peter. But whatever 666 represents, whether it's a Describing Nero, the point is six 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 is imperfection. It doesn't matter how fancy Rome looks on the outside. It doesn't matter how how good and splendid her temples are, how much wealth and peace she gives to society. The reality is, this is what Rome is. She is empowered by the dragon, the serpent from old, and in reality, the empire is just a hideous beast. And the false prophet, too, is just a horrendous beast. And so it's, in some sense, encouragement for Christians. Okay, you're going to suffer. There's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations. But the other hand, if you are accommodating to this society, this is what you're involved in. You're involved in worship of the dragon. You're involved in these hideous beasts. Instead of the true lion and lamb. Instead of the true king of the world. Revelation 14, we have this contrast. So we have here the number of the beast, the number of man, 666. And then John sees in Revelation 14, 1, That I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. This is the great contrast. Either you have the mark of the beast, 666, or either you're part of the 144,000, which we looked at a few weeks earlier, seems to symbolically represent the perfect number of those Who will be saved? There's no, there's two options in this world. Either you're part of the beast, or either you're for Jesus. And this is what Revelation is challenging her readers. Who do you belong to? Who are you going to worship? Will you worship the lion and the lamb, Jesus Christ? Or will you worship the beasts who are empowered by Satan? Himself, And what is unusual in Revelation is that after all these descriptions of the horrors that will come upon the world, of the beast that's come out of the depths of the ocean, in Revelation 15, John tells us that there, he sees Christians... Revelation 15 verse 12. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And all those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. The 144,000, one commentator that I love, Richard Balcom, he almost describes it as an army. This is an army. How it's set out, the 144,000 with the 12 tribes of Israel, all that, it's set out how you would call an army. And he likes to describe the 144,000 as Jesus' army. But like an army that goes out and fights people and kills them in the Old Testament, this army conquers very, very differently. They conquer by being obedient. They conquer by not submitting to the authority of the beast. They conquer, ironically, by being martyred, by being killed, by standing up for the faith. And here in Revelation 15, when they're standing here at the sea of glass, this is victory. For in the Old Testament, any time you encounter the sea, sea is chaos. Sea is where evil comes from. And it is the oceans which Yahweh controls to bring out creation. And now we're told those who conquer, they stand here by a sea of glass, i.e. the glass. The sea has been controlled. The evil has been removed from it. And tapping again into this Exodus imagery, But instead of being the plagues, the Passover, the crossing of the Red Sea, now we have the Christians actually standing at the sea, singing victory before the plagues come. Because they know with the Passover lamb, Jesus overcoming death, there is victory. Victory is assured. No matter what is going to happen. No matter the fact, as in the... Symbolic representation of the two witnesses in the temple that will be trampled and the fact that they will die. No matter what happens when the dragon chases after the woman and the beasts arise from the sea and the land, it does not matter what happens right now. Victory has been won. And then judgment, as represented in the plagues, will follow after that. And then we have here, after all of this, the seven bowls. This brings total destruction to the world. Now it's interesting, one of the popular caricatures of God in the Old Testament is that he is a God of wrath and anger. And the New Testament God is a God of love and peace and forgiveness, and it's all sunshine and roses. Well, with the unleashing of the seven bowls, it completely shows you that that caricature is completely wrong for justice for judgment must happen and rome as personified in the beast have committed a grave crime they have blasphemed against the holy god they have persecuted christ followers and for that those that have the mark of the beast will suffer complete and total devastation. With the trumpets, one third of the earth is destroyed. Now everything is wiped out. And these seven, and these seven judgments, you'll notice they mirror the, seven, the, the ten plagues of Egypt. And we have here the first bowl judgment is harmful and painful so- and sores will be inflicted upon-, upon people. The sea is turned completely into blood. All the rivers are turned into blood. The sun is allowed to scorch people with fire. And fifthly, when the fifth bowl is poured out, the-, the world is plunged. Into darkness, And then we have with the sixth bowl, the Euphrates River dries up. Now again, you probably start to notice a theme, I hope. I hope I've kind of rammed it in enough. Every time we come to a six, six seal, trumpet, and bowl, We have a pause before the seventh. Every time the seventh seal, seventh trumpet, seventh bowl happens, the kingdom comes in. It's when the kingdom is ushered in. So here with the sixth bowl, we have here another pause. And the Euphrates becoming dry, that's quite significant. In the Old Testament, one of the most fierce enemies of the Israelites was the Babylonians. And the Babylonians were used as Yahweh's tool of judgment against Jerusalem. It was for their continual violations of the covenant that Yahweh called Nebuchadnezzar and his armies to come down to Jerusalem and wipe out the temple and wipe out the city. Now, despite the fact the Babylonians being called to be a tool of Yahweh's judgment, the Babylonians themselves are held into account as well. They weren't weren't a nation of sunshine and roses. They were a wicked, wicked kingdom. And the kingdom that came after the Babylonians were the Persians. And when the Persians finally sacked the Babylonians, what they did was they blocked up the Euphrates' River. They dammed it off in order to ensure that the Persian army could easily cross and wipe out the Babylonians. Now we haven't got to this imagery yet, but Revelation will equate Rome with Babylon. Now what Jesus and John are doing at this moment is tapping in to an Old Testament imagery with a contemporary one. In drying up the Euphrates, it's this reminder that Israel's enemies, Babylon, were defeated. But now Babylon's gone and we have Rome. Well, at the same time, Rome was terrified of only one other nation, the Pruthians. And they came from the land of the East, so all these dreaded, terrifying enemy who rode on march, who rode on mounted arch horses. And there was this rumour that Caesar Nero, the one who brought all the persecution to the church, that he would come back to life, or that he was living in the east, in the kingdom of the Pyrivians, and he would come back to sack Rome. Now for some, the destruction of Rome was the most terrifying thing that you could imagine. Your whole way of life was going to be completely destroyed. The Peruvians were the threat to your way of life. But for those that were suffering under persecution, the thought of the Peruvian army coming to sack Rome, that brought you great joy because you would be released from your oppressor. And so here we have, with the sixth bowl the euphrates river drying up this is the beginning of the end for rome and it is quite strange at this moment with the pouring of the sixth bowl we're told here in revelation sixteen twelve. um oh i should say uh, revelation sixteen thirteen. and i saw coming Oh, hang on, I'll start from 12. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of the God, the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, his garments on it. and keep, uh, Stays awake, keeping his garments on that. He may not go about naked and be seen Exposed, And they assembled them at the place that is in Hebrew is called Armageddon. That's some very interesting, terrifying stuff. And so what the sixth bowl is telling us is that at this moment, all the nations of the world will gather together and there will be this great climactic battle, Armageddon. Which is just a transliteration of the Hebrew word Malk Megado, where there was lots of battles and lots of warfare in the past. And then finally, with the seventh bowl after that break, we have here this horrific earthquake. And with this earthquake, the world is completely and utterly shattered. We're told the great city, which just represents, seems to be all human empires, was split into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the Great, to make her drain her cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away and no, mountain, no, no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones about 100 pounds each fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail. Because the plague was so severe. So far in Revelation six seals, the six trumpets, and the six bowls have been building upon events. We have seen so far certain climactic moments. The six seal foretold the end of the world. The six trumpet foretold that as well. And now we have here, with the six and seven bowl, the end of this world as we know it. The destruction of Rome. But what is terrifying, the most terrifying part of this is that people still curse God. Despite all destruction that is born, and we still aren't 100% if it actually will happen, or if it's symbolic of something terrible to come. The point is, after all of these horrors, people still refuse to to repent. And friends, that is an important message for us to consider today. Repentance. Right now we see in our country bushfires, floods. We see globally viruses, the coronavirus. We see warfare. We see famine. We see pestilence. And after reading a book like Revelation... We can't just say this event equals this seal or this trumpet or this bowl. It's symbolic, I feel, of all the things that are going to happen in this world towards the end. The world will have ongoing warfare, pestilence, famine, disease, etc. But what it does, it reminds you that this world is coming to an end. There is an end date. And revelation gives us the eyes to see that things that are happening around us aren't necessarily what they seem. It may seem the church is utterly useless, like true witnesses who stand in the face of the nations and who are killed and it seems like, well, that's the end of the church. It has no more power. Or maybe it's like the church is being chased by a giant serpent and a sea beast and a land beast. And like the land beast who can perform all of these miracles, all of these signs and wonders, which in fact was proof in Rome that a Caesar was the one who was in charge by their ability to do a miracle, perhaps it seems right now for our society that the church has no role. Christianity has no role. But friends, what Revelation reminds us of this, is that we are in a reverse exodus. We are now victorious. We can be conquerors. We can stand by that sea of glass, knowing that God has overcome chaos. He has brought the victory. And we are waiting for this moment, the seven bowls. Now, how that looks, I can't tell you. But I know that what it brings, it brings destruction. And it brings justice against God's enemies. And just as Pharaoh continually hardened his heart, despite the destruction that happened to his empire, so the world will continue to be hardened and curse God for the plagues. So this morning, friends, as we have just gone through another very, very complicated explanation in Scripture, the take-home message is this. Which side are you on? Which number do you bear? Are you part of the 144,000? Or do you have the number 666? For Revelation challenges that there's only two categories of people. Friends, I'm going to pray for us now. If you are join me in that. And perhaps this week to be challenged by the message of Revelation. To see that the church, it may not look like we have tremendous power. That it may seem that society is taking over that things around us are spiralling out of control. But what we have learnt is that we are conquerors. We are victorious. Let me pray. Lord, again, we see in your word this highly complex, highly symbolic and figurative language, which points to a message, a message that you will bring evil to end. And as the Roman Empire collapsed so long ago, the eternal empire with no end. And we have seen many empires rise and fall. And we are reminded that all evil empires are fueled by that seven-headed dragon. And Lord, for us who are tempted to compromise, to compromise with the beast, to just go ahead with what society does, help us to see the truth of what we are doing, help us to be conquerors be ones that do not cave in in the face of temptation and persecution around us. And so, Lord, we pray your blessing upon us as we do this to be light in a community of darkness. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Heartbeat Church podcast. For more information about services, ministries and sermons, visit heartbeatchurch.org.au.